following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. We are back. Episode 798 of I Doubt It Podcast. I am your host, the COVID-free Jesse Dollimore, joined today by the equally COVID-free, lovely, talented, scholarly Brittany Page. Did you, you took a rapid today? I did take a rapid today. And it's completely clear. 100% no line on the little T. Well, that is the first time in a long time. So congratulations. And to you too, madame. Thank you. I I was waiting for this time. I knew that it would eventually come. And it is finally here where we came on the show to discuss having COVID. It was only a matter of time. That, that we no longer have it or that we got it? That we got it. Yeah. Because this was the first time during the entire pandemic. Yeah. That we got COVID. And it was in fucking North Carolina. Well, of course it was. (laughs) And it was because we went to a wedding. Yeah. And we got back from that wedding on Sunday, May 8th, ready to go. We, We left feeling really good about everything. We recorded two episodes the day before we left. One of those posted while we were gone. We had almost... No cell phone service where we were. Yeah, the wedding was out in the middle of fucking nowhere. And so we didn't, uh, I don't think we posted the last episode to Patreon, but it posted elsewhere. Yeah, so it was right. out there. Yeah. And it, it. we came back, I think on Monday, the 9th is when you started to feel a little something. You took a rapid test. That was your first test. It was negative. Yeah, I was negative. It, 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 listen, this virus is nutty. Insane, because you and I, within a day of one another, started having symptoms. We were told somebody in the wedding party had COVID. Yeah, we were told that on Monday the 9th. Yeah, and I had already started having a sore throat before we even found that out. Yeah, you took the test. You thought it was just having a good weekend, yelling, (laughs) smoking a cigar. I really did fall into the trap. Yeah. Of everybody's like, oh, I just thought it was allergies. Well, we're in a pandemic. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's not allergies. Yeah. I smoked a cigar at the reception like a dumb fuck. Mm-hmm. So I just figured out maybe I have a sore throat from that. Yeah. Tested, negative. Tuesday, negative. Wednesday, negative. Symptoms getting worse. Yeah. Finally, on Thursday, we went to take a, a, a PCR test. Because on Tuesday the 10th, I developed my first symptoms. Yeah, yeah. So we got that PCR test done on the 12th. I didn't test positive until Saturday the 14th on a rapid test. The same day that we got our Thursday results on the PCR, which came back positive. For me. For you. Not for you. Negative for me. Yeah. Still having symptoms on Saturday. Still having symptoms on Sunday. Woke up Monday very fucked up. Yeah. Sicker than you were during the entire time. Yeah, absolutely. And then tested positive that day on a rapid on a rapid yeah so you made it one entire week before you tested positive on a rapid test never showing on the pcr 
I made it from Tuesday to Saturday taking rapid tests, all negative until Saturday when I finally tested positive with symptoms. Yeah. So I think if we're if we're doing takeaways on our experience here, it's trust your gut. We, as soon as we started having symptoms, we started operating as though we were positive. Even though the rapid test wasn't showing that we were positive, yeah. the assumption was at some point it's going to tell us that we're positive. In fact, listen, we not only were we operating under the assumption that we just had it and we were positive, even though we were testing negative, we had a guest scheduled for last weekend to come and record some shows with us and and have a good time. And we, we put the kibosh on that because yeah. we don't want to put people at risk. Like if we had... If we had thought we were positive, we would not have flown. Oh, oh, no, I no, mean, no, no. Just like when I thought I had caught COVID the weekend that Donald Trump got it when I was in Idaho. Right. <laughs> I canceled my flight and fucking drove 24 hours back home from northern Idaho. Which to is southern the right California. thing to do. Absolutely. Yeah. It's irresponsible and um, shitty to do otherwise. Yeah, well, I think people in the beginning of the pandemic like got arrested for flying while positive with COVID. So yeah. I, I don't know why anyone would be doing that. But um, that that aside, I think it was it, it was a weird experience. We had different symptoms. We had a different course of illness. My worst day was probably day six. Yours was past day six. Yeah, probably day ten was probably my absolute worst. Yeah, I. On day six, it was just pretty much a severe head cold. And there are some ling lingering symptoms. I would say like body fatigue, exhaustion. I can measure my <laughs> cardio fitness <laughs> by my performance on Peloton. Yeah, yeah. And I did a Peloton workout finally, and it was terrible. It was terrible performance. I was exhausted. It was, I'm going to, it, it's going to take me a while to get back to where I used to be. And you had similar symptoms in terms of severe head colds, exhaustion. There were times where you felt winded, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's time, you know, when you get up off the couch and your head is like you have to grab onto something because you feel like you're going to pass out. Yeah. That, but not even having to get off the couch, just constantly having that feeling. Well, and you worked a few days during your illness too yeah the first day that i tested positive well the first day back i did a couple videos and i think tuesday i did a couple videos but then the symptoms got worse and worse and then when i tested positive once i was really in the thick of it i did i think i worked monday and tuesday uh, on youtube videos mm -hmm. i don't even really remember which is <laughs> kind of scary i don't really remember doing them yeah like, I can watch the product and be like, oh, yeah, I did videos, but kind of a fog. Just kind delirium of fever dream going on. Yeah, but, you know, like I said, I think in those videos, if we don't work, we don't eat kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, And also, like, I, there have been people, I'm sure, are like, where, hey, where are Jesse and Brittany? Where, where, where are those guys? Mm -hmm. um, it takes a lot of work to put together a podcast. Believe it or not, more work to do this than to slap together a YouTube video. Yeah. So. Um, uh, yes, because it requires planning, discussing, us both talking about the topics that we want to discuss on the show together. Also a sustained increase of energy level. You got to bring it when you do a show oh, for yeah. an hour, hour and a half. It's not just, hey guys, this is, uh, we're going <laughs> to talk about the, the pilot. 
politics right now. It would be nice if we did that. It seems relaxing. <laughs> let's tone it. Let's tone it down. Just do a. Yeah. Just do the old NPR thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so we're happy to be back. I, I. I'm also glad. If we're doing a few takeaways, I felt guilty. That was my first initial feeling. Is I, I was guilt about what having caught it, having having COVID. Yeah, because huh. I felt like I did something wrong after having done the right thing during the entire pandemic, taking all these steps, avoiding it this entire time, and then I go to a wedding and I get COVID. Yeah, and I I was so supported by so many kind friends in my life that reminded me of. D- various things, but one one friend in particular highlighted the necessary steps that we are now going through, where we are assessing risks in our daily sure. lives yeah. and understanding that there are maybe choices that we're going to make that are going to have risks attached to them. But as long as we are going about those things in the safest way, knowing, for example, that Everyone at the wedding was, I think, encouraged to have vaccines, not necessarily required, but it's also a friend that we know that's uh, not going to have a bunch of like Trump supporters at their right. wedding. Yeah. So it was outside. We were outside almost the entire time. Yeah, almost the entire time. So there were there were different things where you kind of weigh how much of a risk is this actually. And yeah. Well, we want to be there to support our friends, and that is important too. Yeah, let me let me push back, not push back, but assuage your whatever level of guilt you well, had it's at gone the time. Now. Yeah, <laughs> because really, there's, I mean, other than just canceling, and I was in the wedding party. It, you know, it would have been uh, a very uh, dramatic imposition on on the people we were there to to to, to celebrate mm-hmm. had we backed out last minute. Yeah, and and. There was no avoiding. It's not like we're going to be up there, uh, uh, me in the wedding, up there with a the mask on outside. I mean, just we did everything we could, mm-hmm. and and we ended up catching it. And uh, I mean, my ultimate takeaway. I'm sure everyone's ultimate takeaway when they get it, and and it and it ends up being uh, you're healthy and you're 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 you got through it. Is thankfulness for science, thankfulness for vaccines. Thankfulness that we we live in an era right now where the technology is such that this was developed in record time, and I have no idea where I would have been if I had gotten sick pre-vaccine. Mm-hmm. Like back in in twenty twenty, yeah. holy shit! I I mean I may have been fucking dead because it it fucked me up. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that that's another interesting aspect of this whole COVID journey is how differently the virus affected both of us. Yeah. And one thing that brings up is how I'm grateful that we ultimately made the decision to get health insurance when we moved here because <laughs> we had a conversation about it when we first moved. We're like, okay, yeah. this is expensive as hell. It's yeah. very expensive. Very expensive. Are we going to do it or should we just kind of roll the dice, you know? And you are covered through the VA. It's not great, it's but shitty. it's shitty. It's yeah. an option. It's a last resort situation, so you don't have to go without coverage. And so we were really going to gamble with my life is what we're saying. <laughs> well, I mean, really, let's talk very briefly <laughs> about what a couple of dumb fucks we are. Yeah. That the main <laughs> argument that we made like, oh, you know what? We really should get health insurance because <laughs> you just fell down the stairs. Yeah, 
Yeah. That was what the motivator was. Right. Not that we're in the middle of a fucking two and a half year pandemic right. that has cost the lives of a million Americans. Yeah. We were thinking about the falling down the stairs thing. I mean, it is a very valid reason. And it it was a prominent motivator because what if my fall had been much worse? And yeah, I needed for to go to sure. The hospital I mean, that's a reason. It's a good reason. It's but a strong I, reason. For me, the first reason is that we're in the middle of a pandemic. It makes a lot of sense. Well, <laughs> We made the right choice. <laughs> we did, because the insurance came in handy, because you, like I said, had a different course of illness than I did, and yeah. your symptoms started to get worse the further along you were in in your days uh, of of testing positive. I mean, today, the first day that I'm testing negative is 14 days into the illness and seven days into testing positive. I was sick for two weeks. Yeah. So you actually made an appointment with your doctor, had a virtual appointment just to check on everything, see if what was happening with you seemed to be on the up and up. And he wasn't concerned about anything, said that if things got worse. I've never, listen, you were there. You were sitting on the side of of my my desk when I was talking to him. It was an e-appointment. I've never had to try to convince a doctor that I'm a fat guy. <laughs> I mean, I've lost 30-some pounds over the, since February. Good job. Thank you. You know that I have. You, you live with me. I'm congratulating you, <laughs> Thank you. on the no, show. I appreciate so that. So that everyone knows so, that I'm congratulating you for like that. Like, if I was 30-some pounds heavier like I was just three months ago, two months ago, two and a half months ago, I think it would even have been a different situation then, uh-huh. you know, and he was, I, I was trying to like, no, 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 I'm seriously fat guy. I mean, that's my <laughs> comor- comorbidity is that uh-huh. he wasn't having it. Yeah. So, well, it was even too late for you to get the medication that they have been prescribing, which I've been hearing. I don't want to start that. I don't want to. Yeah. We don't know enough about yeah, that yeah, yeah. outside of our expertise. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, he said, well, you've already had symptoms for five days or longer. So you're not a uh, you're not eligible for any of that. Yeah. So uh, yeah. you tried to prescribe me cough medicine or something. I'm like, you know what? It's if I can go get it at Target, I don't need a prescription for it, brother. Well, on that note, and I do want to talk about this because there are expectations that for COVID, it's looking like people are going to be reinfected multiple times a year. I saw a New York Times article where experts are saying you can be reinfected like three to four times a year. Mm. Uh, if we're looking at the fall and winter, they're looking at a lot of Americans that are going to be affected, um, infected with COVID. So you want to prepare for the fall and winter coming up. And one thing I will say is when I tested negative and you were still testing positive and you were sicker than ever, we had run out of DayQuil and NyQuil. And so, oh yeah, this is a great point. I'm I, glad you're saying this. I went to Target, and again, I had tested negative at this point, so we're good. I wore a mask just for people who are going to come for me. Uh, the medicine was sold out. All of the Mucinex was gone. All of the Dayquil was gone. Yeah. All of the Nyquil was gone. Everything was gone. I took a picture of it. It was like March 2020 again. Mm-hmm. That's what it looked like at Target. So. I don't want people to freak out and go panic by, but I'm just saying over the course of the next few months, as you gear up to prepare for fall and winter, you may just want to check that medicine cabinet, make sure that you have what you need so that if you do get COVID, you do need to quarantine, you have what you need and you don't need to be figuring out how you're going to get medicine in the meantime to yeah. to help you during that time. And we, we went, uh, 
luckily we have we know some people in DC. Um, we had someone go and drop it off on our doorstep, mm-hmm. like a personal Instacart thing, except it was somebody we know. Mm-hmm. And we burned through that Dayquil Nyquil. We had to go and get more. I mean, yeah. we we burned through it. When there's two of you and you're taking every four hours a dose, yeah. So definitely, again, it's not a hoarding situation. Mm-hmm. But in preparation, you know, don't think, oh, I've got a little bit of Nyquil in the bottom of the bottle. Yeah. Go out there and make sure you have what it takes for the, you know, the likely eventuality of getting sick again. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad that we're through it. I'm glad we're feeling better. Me too. There were so many things that happened that we were bummed that we weren't able to do the show to talk about the things that were going on. This is going to be a heavy listener communication slash kind of review of things that we missed and then hopefully leaving it on a positive note. I don't know why I'm giving like a syllabus of the show, (laughs) but apparently that's where my head's at. One big thing that's been happening is the focus on the coming decision on Roe v. Wade. And we got a lot of listener communication on that. And I think we want to start with Tony in Boston. Hi, Brittany and Jesse. This is Tony from Boston, Mass. I'm a recovering evangelical by way of the Church of the Nazarene. I just had a thought I wanted to share with you regarding SCOTUS's impending overturning of Roe v. Wade. First, there's a reason that American Christofascists, a.k.a. the GOP, have come so far in the last 50 years. And that's because they do a lot of their work under the radar. They don't compromise. They're excellent at ginning up fear and outrage as a smokescreen. They circle the wagons and rally around their own. And they're always two or three steps ahead with their planning. While they continue their crusade against privacy and reproductive rights, I implore people to try not to get tunnel vision about abortion because there's more going on and there are hints about what else they're planning if they succeed. Yeah, at very least, that definitely includes a federal abortion ban and coming after contraception. But their pro-birth fixation on adoption... I'm going to, uh, very very briefly, just as a real-time fact check, this won't be a federal abortion ban, what the Supreme Court's going to do. This will be allowing the states to make their particular policy state by state. I think what he's talking about, and then we're going to get back to the call as I fumble-fuck my way through an interruption, um, is the possibility if the GOP does get in, in into power again in Congress and God forbid the, the, the executive branch that they could institute a federal ban on abortion. That's what I understood Tony to be saying. Okay. Then I was belay my last (laughs) is another clue. Think Amy Coney Barrett's comments to the SJC and it's by no means benign. Adoption is yet another cog in their Christo fascist machine, both as a money-making opportunity and also as a child indoctrination pipeline. What I mean is that abortion bans, even at the state level, would fuel a new surge of white children. And then private Christian adoption agencies, paired with private Christian schools, would be an efficient pipeline for raising them as the next generations of Christo-fascists. Not to mention a convenient residential school-like means of sequestering, impoverishing, 
or even disappearing black and brown children. Anyway, that's just my thought. Love you guys. Thank you for everything that you do. I think this is an important reminder from Tony. It's something that I struggle with is trying to balance my emotional terror that I'm feeling about the coming decision on Roe and justifiable, justifiable and not wanting to focus on that and also trying to be more forward thinking about the next steps and what we can be doing to prevent the bleeding from getting worse. Mm -hmm. And there was a video that I saw that I thought of uh, immediately after listening to Tony share his thoughts on, on a, Becoming attacks on contraceptive, for example, and it is this Trump endorsed state representative candidate Jackie Eubanks in Michigan, and she was giving an interview talking about her adherence to her Catholic faith. And by the way, not some old lady Catholic. She's like 25 years old. She is definitely appears to be younger. I don't know how old she is, but she appears to be younger And she would vote, she says, to make birth control illegal. You're a faithful Catholic, meaning you believe everything the church teaches? Yes. Everything? Yes. Everything? Yes. So you are, uh, uh, you see that uh, the use of contraception is against uh, natural moral law? Yes. uh, Is destructive, a doorway to abortion, blah, blah, and all that and everything else. You see the whole, everything going on with Roe, Mm -hmm. for example, right now, and all the left, you know, becoming completely uncorked, losing their minds. The question, you know, they're saying they're coming after your your gay marriage next. They're coming after your birth control after that and everything else. Well, you know what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yes. yes. So we need to um, make a plain statement of fact, which is the reason why the West is great is because Western civilization's underpinning is Christianity. You cannot have a successful society outside of the Christian moral order and things like abortion and things like gay marriage are outside of the christian moral order and they lead to chaos and destruction and a culture of death which is why we're seeing that today we have abandoned the christian moral order as a nation and we are reaping um that destruction how do you answer the local press person who might be your age uh and just sees you as some loony who that she wants to take away your birth control well, in the state of Michigan. Sure. So I guess we have to ask ourselves, would that ever come to a vote um, in the Michigan state legislature? And if it should, I, I would have to side with it should not be legal. And I think that people believe that birth control is it's better, like you said, because, oh, then you won't get pregnant and you won't need to have an abortion. But I think that it gives people the false sense of security that they can have consequence-free sex. And that's not true and it's not correct. Sex ought to be between one man and one woman in the confines of marriage. And open to life. And open to life. Absolutely. I mean, (laughs) it's some scary stuff. It's some scary stuff. When Tony talks about, uses the turn of phrase, Mm Christo-fascist, that what you just heard is a Christo fascist. This is a woman who wants to rule the Americas. She wants to rule our country using her particular flavor of Christianity. Right. And she even said it herself. You cannot have a successful society outside of the Christian moral order. Right. Well, someone should tell that to the Southern Baptist Convention, which just came out with this uh, third party released this report about the widespread uh, stonewalling of sex abuse victims. Yeah. 
in the church, another church organization with these high morals. We got it all figured out. Abusing people, preventing them from coming forward, uh, hiding the sexual abusers in the church, allowing them to continue being in positions of power. It's the same thing that we see with the Catholic church. Look, this is why, this is exactly why, this is precisely why, this by design is why we have a separation of church and state. Because which flavor are we going to follow? Whose particular flavor is the right one? Whose interpretation of the Bible of the thousands of different interpretations is the one that we should set U.S. law to? It, is, it, is it the Jews? Is it the, the thousands of denominations of Christianity? Is it Islam? Who is it? That's why we have a separation of church and state. That people like this, Jackie Eubanks, People like Amy Coney Barrett, people like Samuel Alito and and, and, and Clarence Thomas and Bart O'Kavanaugh, that their faith is meaningless in the scope of law and order and good governance. Well, imagine being a person who believes that abortion is murder, that you are extinguishing the life of an innocent baby when you have an abortion. Yeah. And you have this method that you can give to people to prevent unwanted pregnancy. And that's contraceptive. And you're against that too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. You're against that too. You're against the thing that could reduce the murder that you believe is occurring. Like the tool that could uh, reduce and eliminate the murder. Right. And you're like, no, 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 no. We don't want people to have that. She's a, she's a uh, be fruitful and multiply type of Catholic, which is maddening. And I've talked about my own experience being a teenager, going to my doctors, saying, I do not want to have kids. I have these reasons for not wanting to have them. I would like to have my tubes tied. And at every turn, being told no and yeah. being reminded that I may change my mind. You are a vessel of reproduction. That is your that is your, 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 your method on the earth. Right, and that's what she's saying, is that sex is between one man, one woman, leaving out many different configurations right. of types of relationships where there is sex that exists. and That does exist. That it should be open to creating life. Yeah. So, no. So I mean, you, how many people does that exclude? Well, no, it ex- let's excludes say, so many people. Let's say in a, in a heteronormative relationship mm-hmm. that one of the parties is sterile. Right. Are they no longer allowed to have sex because it, it, it won't result in the... The creation of a life. Right. It's just idle sexual behavior. Right. Get the fuck out of here. And the host that was interviewing Jackie Eubanks said it himself. They he he was, he was re- an ally of hers yeah, for sure. Yeah, referring to like liberal fears that they're coming after gay marriage, they're coming after a contraceptive next, and he says, "Yes, absolutely, we are." Yeah. So I mean, Tony's voicemail really come to life in this clip. Honestly, you know the other thing about this, and you know we've talked about this. It's like when I questioned the guy in front of the Supreme Court uh, the 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 day after the memo was leaked, the the decision draft was leaked, and um, it deals with like like for instance in Arkansas, Asa mm-hmm. Hutchinson's the governor of Arkansas. He's been making the rounds lately on the on the news, and he signed back in I think 2018 a trigger bill that would uh, make abortion illegal even in the cases of incest and rape Mm -hmm. he signed that into law even though he says he's against those particular uh that restriction Mm. 
Very uh, Idaho governor. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Coward. Yeah. Just a fucking coward. And one in four children in the state of Arkansas live in poverty. Yeah. So we're going to have tens of thousands more children born into poverty with the ratio not just being one in four, it would likely be three of four being born more into poverty. Mm -hmm. But they don't care. That's not on the radar of Republicans. Mm -hmm. It's, It's... it is regression. That's what we're facing right now. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of us are thinking about what we can do to Absolutely. help other people right now. And of course, we've talked a lot about donating to local abortion funds and getting out in the streets to protest. We were bummed because we had a massive protest here in D.C. and across the country, actually, when we had COVID and we yeah. couldn't be out there. But we are definitely looking forward to getting out there and participating and uh, ensuring that our voices are heard and interviewing more people too for the the YouTube channel. But Laura from Buffalo left us a voicemail and I think that what she has to say here is something that we may want to replicate in um, as many places as possible. Hey, Jesse. Hey, Brittany. Uh, this is Laura from Buffalo. Um, I'm just as sick as anybody else um, and I'm listening to the latest episode and uh i just want everybody that listens to the show to know that i am one of those people that is lucky enough to live in a blue state i live in new york state uh i live in buffalo new york in erie county and i want every single listener to know that if you need to make your way to new york state to get an abortion i have housing for you i do not have a lot of extra money, um, but I can feed you and I have a place for you to stay and I will emotionally support you if that's something that you need. Um, sorry, I'm getting emotional. Uh, I do have a place if that is something that you need or someone you know that needs that. Um, Again, I uh, financially cannot um, do very much in way of donating and things like that. I am single and I work in healthcare and do not make very much money to support myself. But I do have an apartment where I would love to allow a listener or whoever to stay with me when they needed to get safe access to abortion services in New York state. Um, if anybody needs to talk or wants to talk about how scary this is, please reach out to me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not on the Facebook stuff cause I don't really use Facebook because Facebook is, uh, a, a ditch, but I am on Instagram and I converse, uh, with Jesse and Brittany quite often and they can, uh, hook us together. So, um, again, I just wanted to offer that. Uh, I love you guys so much. Thanks for doing all that you do. Okay. Bye. So as always, we can put anyone in touch with Laura who may be interested, but I think this is a, a good model if yeah. you want to be helpful to other people to make it clear to people in your social circle, whether you post on your Facebook page, whether you just do a word of mouth, kind of spreading the word through your social network, that you are a safe person who will help someone if they need it have access to abortion. 
that you will host someone and assist with that process. Yeah, I think a lot of times people will just assume that, well, people know I'm safe. People know I would help. But I think a Facebook post or a Twitter post or if we were to flood social media, letting people know who the safe, as you use, the safe people are, Mm -hmm. uh, it'll ring true to somebody like, oh, I remember I've got a friend who posted about this. They live you know, X, Y, and Z, they live in this place, mm-hmm. th- they could help. Right. So do go the extra mile to to be explicit yeah. about the fact of what you're offering and what you're able to do, just like Laura just did. Well, and it's going to be especially helpful as we're gearing up for the nation to really change. And I mean, and it's going to be a dramatic change in many, many, many states. We're seeing it in Oklahoma right now. Oklahoma. Idaho is maybe the worst in the nation right now, Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. Um, but I think it's important to let people know that if you want to assist in this way, I, almost like an underground type going back to before Roe was a thing, you know, an underground network of people that will help other people access abortion in other states. If that is something that you're willing to help do then make make that known in your social circle yeah. so that you can be a part of that i think yeah. that that's important without a doubt so thank you laura uh we appreciate the call thank you tony we also appreciate the call um it is through the network of of listeners it is through the the community that is built up around this show and many many other shows that we're going to be able to make some difference in some people's lives who happen to be trapped and i don't use that word lightly trapped living in states like Oklahoma, like Idaho, like Arkansas, Mississippi, Alabama, th- this this network of regressive um, Christo-fascist nightmare states. Yeah. So. so thank you very much, guys. And we have an email from Kelly. Hello, Jesse and Brittany. I wanted to share a story that might provide a little hope amidst the insanity, and then I will make a pitch. I worked the polls on May 3rd, only my second time doing so. When the paid volunteers arrived at 6 a.m., we were not able to get into the building where some of the equipment had already been dropped off. The election official, who was responsible for that precinct, started making calls. The rest of us could do nothing until we could get in. At 7 a.m., the polls were not yet opened, and the election official said he was done and he left. At the same time, some voters started arriving. We had to figure out how to help them cast their ballots provisionally. While we were doing that, we gained entrance to the building and everyone started working quickly to get it set up. Eventually, we were running smoothly. At the end of the day, one person stepped up to learn, with phone support from the county office, how to close out the precinct and to drive the data and some of the equipment back to the county offices. None of us had ever met each other before. As a poll worker, we must remain nonpartisan, so I don't know much about any of their political leanings. I suspect they were varied. However, everyone was determined that the people in this precinct would be able to vote. One woman said that she would not have been able to sleep if we had given up. There are small precincts staffed with dedicated volunteers all over the country that take this seriously and show up. It is a long day and a boring job, but it felt good that we overcame a significant obstacle. The county office had no one else they could send to us to help because there were not enough volunteers. Thus, my pitch. If you are able to take a day off on election day, and if you are able to do this work so that your neighbors may cast a ballot, please volunteer. Thank you both for all the work that you do. Kelly. Well, thank you for persevering and um, in a very real way, safeguarding our very democracy. 
Um, it is more important now than ever. With the attacks uh, from the right, the not just disregard, but um, aggressive assault and and motivated attempts to destroy our very democracy. So it's it's good to know that people are are are, are doing the volunteer thing. Absolutely. So thank you, Kelly, and hopefully people hear that call <laughs> for sure. Now we want to turn to something. I guess a little controversial that we talked about on the last episode, which prompted some angry emails and actually some people um, to leave their support on Patreon. Oh, yeah. yeah, As well. So uh, almost like a Sam Harris thing all over again. (laughs) Sam Harris and Elon Musk. Yeah, we touch some of these topics sometimes that really hit a nerve and apparently Johnny Depp is one of them. Yeah. And this actually happens to me anytime I post about it online as well. You know, fandom is kind of a poison. It's scary. It's really terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I want to read this message that we got from a listener who decided to stop um, supporting us because by, by the way, Johnny Depp is a piece of shit. Okay. So, so that's <laughs> okay. So we're going to get into that, but I want to read this email from a listener who was upset at our previous yeah, yeah, yeah. episode. Hi, Jesse and Brittany. I have enjoyed listening to you guys for years now, but only recently became a patron. I looked to you guys for metered and thoughtful political commentary. Unfortunately, I heard your comments regarding the Johnny Depp trial in episode 795, and it destroyed any desire to continue listening. I was shocked to hear how smug and naive you could be. In the last year, I came out of an abusive relationship like this one, and I can see the pattern. I feel lucky that I did not get married. You can't just leave an argument or relationship like this easily. It is like a frog in boiling water. Men are victims of domestic abuse too. This trial is basically about who is allowed to say they were a victim of abuse. This does not reflect well on the Me Too movement. Many feminists support JD over Amber Heard. What does the diagnosis matter? Is it MPD, BPD, histrionic, psychopath, complex PTSD, just a bully. I have heard that narcissists can find healing through self-mortification if it happens in a very public way. Maybe that's what this is. I think you guys do good work with political commentary. I hope you continue to grow your subscriber base. Take care. So first I want to say to this listener who didn't sign off or use their name in the content of their email, so that's why I'm not going to say their name, but to the listener, I am... Sorry to hear that you were in an abusive relationship. It seems like you are out of that relationship, that you avoided um, being in that relationship long term. It says that you are you feel lucky that you didn't get married. So I'm, I'm happy to hear you're out of that. Um, I hope that you're doing the necessary healing so that yeah. you can move forward. For sure. and, and, and that's that's definitely important. Also, no one on this show, no one, mean Brittany or I, ever, ever, ever have ever intimated or indicated that we believe a man cannot be the victim of domestic abuse. Ever. Yes. I think that this is actually one disturbing aspect of what people are attempting to do when this trial is being discussed, is they use this line that men's can, men can be victims, too, to overlook the evidence that Johnny Depp has been abusive. And that's really the key point. I mean, the the person who wrote us hit the right note when they said that this trial is about who can say they are victims. And this trial is going to prevent a lot of people from coming forward and saying they're victims. 
And one one other celebrity that I want to talk about is Evan Rachel Wood, who has come forward along with multiple other accusers against Marilyn Manson. Right. And Marilyn Manson has been mentioned uh, many times, name dropped during the Johnny Depp trial because he's close friends yeah, with good, Johnny Depp. Good pal of J.D., Johnny Depp. And Marilyn Manson is actually doing the same exact thing to Evan Rachel Wood now. He's suing her for defamation, for coming right. forward with her abuse allegations. Credibly accused rapist and not only is he doing that he's saying the same types of things that johnny depp is saying that this is a conspiracy that she's fabricating this now people who don't believe amber heard have to believe that she fabricated dozens of photos of her injuries over periods of years right that she set johnny depp up with contemporaneous texts and communications to the people around her and diary entries for years that she was making these things, kind of weaving this web of lies. And that's what people do believe. They think she's a psychopath, that she was doing this for years to set him up. Yeah, people are so conspiratorial about this. They believe she's openly snorting cocaine while on the witness stand in court. We also got an email from a listener who told us that. Come on. So that's why we're addressing this. And on that note, one thing I want to say is there's reporting from Vice that is showing that thousands of dollars are being uh, poured into um, promoting anti-Amber Heard propaganda online and that it's coming from the Daily Wire. Right. Ben Shapiro. So this is a right-wing propaganda machine that is somehow invested in this. I don't quite understand why. I don't know what their motivation is. Well, they're they're a they're a heartbeat away from being men's rights uh, activists. That's actually a great point and that I hadn't considered. It, it is it is um, to try to discredit the Me Too movement, which conservatives have been on have been against the entire time. Yeah, and I mean, listen, there's. Many people now that I see, bigger name people, up until a few weeks ago, I hadn't really seen, seen a lot of big name people coming forward to talk about this, but now I'm seeing uh, columnists come out and write in support of Amber Heard, mostly because of the effect that experts are saying that this trial and the public response is going to have on survivors of domestic violence. But not only that, also what I'm talking about with how this defamation line is going to be used to silence survivors by right. powerful people. Yeah. And, I mean, there's just so many things that people are discounting. The fact that there's evidence of Johnny Depp's coercive control over Amber Heard and her medical treatment, including that he had appointed a nurse to take care of her and that her therapist was uh, paid for by him. Her acting coach tes testified that Johnny Depp didn't want her going out and doing things on her own. Uh, her makeup artist testified that she covered her bruises and a busted lip for a TV appearance. The attorney who was representing Amber Heard in pre- and post-nuptial negotiations testified that uh, Johnny Depp called her in a, a drunken rage, calling her a bitch, and fired her on behalf of Amber Heard. So there's, there's this consistent story and narrative that paints a picture over a period of years yeah. of controlling abuse and misogyny. Which, by the way, by the way, does not mean Amber Heard is an angel and wonderful and all innocent in all of this at all. That's not what this means. It just means Johnny Depp wasn't defamed that he absolutely did abuse, as was found in a court of law in England. He did abuse Amber Heard. And then Johnny Depp's counter to that is that it's all a conspiracy. She fabricated texts. She's uh, faking these photos. Yeah. Her friends are lying. The makeup artist is lying. The former attorney is lying. Everyone's lying. It's all a conspiracy. So it's up to you to choose who you decide to believe in that situation. 
we have given our perspective on that with the understanding that our primary concern, I'll speak for myself as a therapist, my primary concern is how this is going to affect survivors of domestic violence and silencing people who see how she's being treated and how people are uh, reenacting her court testimony on TikTok. Very disgusting. Yeah. Um, That's disturbing. So as a therapist, with my own experience working with survivors of domestic violence, this is going to have a negative impact. And that's my main concern. Now, men who are saying men can be abused too, absolutely, 100%. No one on the show has ever stated otherwise. That is a deflection. So, Without a doubt. Let's not even go there. Let's not move the goalposts. Now, if this conversation has upset you so much that you don't feel like you can trust us anymore, I don't really know what to tell you. Because I'll tell I you think what you can do. Well, no, I, I think it's been reasonable and metered and adhering to the facts. Well, they can always go find a podcast that's hosted by The Daily Wire. It seems like that's more their team. And that may be the case. I mean, I, I, I don't know what else to say. And I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about this, um, <laughs> except for it is important in terms of how it impacts survivors. So that's why it's important to talk about. I hope that we always keep that front and center. Yeah, absolutely. You know, also, you know, Ben Shapiro is quite the, he's the gem. There are some whores in this house. Oh, <laughs> Why is that one always on the board? And sure I, I, will, I, will, I will comfort myself sure tonight by sleeping on my bed made of money. Ben well, Shapiro, everybody. I forgot that one. Bring a bucket and a mop. Yeah. Bed full of money. He is the... That he can use to promote propaganda on Facebook. Yes. How exciting. So thank you for the email. Mm-hmm. Former listener, maybe. I don't know. I know. Maybe they'll never hear this. That sucks. Oh, I doubt that. I think that they are probably listening. Okay. Anyway, uh, thank you for all of your communication. We appreciate it very much. We encourage you to sound off 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. I Doubt It is a listener-supported podcast. Support comes from our most loyal, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners just like you via patreon your support on patreon for as little as two dollars a month would help keep the conversation moving forward one podcast at a time if you have a few dollars to spare each month we invite you to help produce the show by joining the patreon family please visit patreon.com slash i doubt it podcast we would like to thank our new patreon supporters Gary H. Gary H. Brian D. Brian D. Chuck B. Chuck B. Viva N. Viva N. Scott C. Scott C. Cynthia S. Cynthia S. Samantha S. Samantha S. And Brielin C. Brielin C. I may have pronounced that wrong. Is it Brianna Lynn? It's Brielin. So thank you to our new Patreon supporters. We could not do this without you. We appreciate so much your patience. I know that there was impatience on the part of some listeners, but by and large, there's been a lot of patience. And I appreciate that because we, I cannot really express how not restful this time period was. You know, (laughs) we weren't, we weren't doing the show, but. There was no relaxing time. We didn't get to sit back and look at the ocean and drink a pina colada, you know? Pina coladas, by the way, 
fucking great. They are good. Look into the ocean. Meh. I'm just trying to like, when people think about relaxing, what oh, do they yeah, think of? Yeah. I don't know. And uh, we still had to take care of Sweepy being a maniac. Oh, man. Tell Six- you who's not sick. 16 weeks old today. And it, it wasn't very restful, but we're we're so happy that we were able to take the period and recover. And we're very blessed, very lucky. Yes, that, that very we're healthy, lucky. and that that's not lost on us. So thank you so much for your support, and and we greatly, greatly appreciate everyone listening to the show and supporting us. So Absolutely. Thank you. All right, moving on. Democracy facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So there were two major things. There's so many big things, but there were two major things that happened when we were sick with COVID that we couldn't talk about that we wanted to make sure that we circle back and did talk about. And we're going to start with the first one, but we're also going to get to the Buffalo shooting. But the first one is the protests that erupted across the country because of the coming decision on Roe v. Wade. And there was this discussion taking place because there were protesters outside of your favorite Bart O. Kavanaugh's house. Who happens to live on Underwood Street in Bethesda, Maryland. Okay. Not going to give the street address. Just, uh, it's Underwood Street. And so, people were out in front of his house. Four miles away from where we sit right now. And... They were protesting peacefully. Peacefully nothing, for Nothing happened out there. No one was hurt. It nothing wasn't even got damaged. Like, it wasn't even disruptive, like yelling. It was like candlelight vigil type protesting. Yeah. And we had people reaching out to us saying, is this something we support? I'll speak for myself. Yes. yes. I absolutely support people going out and protesting in front of the Supreme Court justices' homes. Why should they be immune from the consequences of the decisions that they are handing down that are going to impact the lives of millions and millions of Americans? Especially when Roe v. Wade, that decision was predicated upon a woman's right to privacy. And then they drag that through the mud, send us back to 1970, you know, uh, three, early 1973. And then they want their privacy in the, in, in their home. No, that's not how it works. Yeah. So naturally conservatives were making the rounds to gin up support and make this situation seem much more serious and dire than it actually was. Cue Ted Cruz comparing the protests to the, uh, insurrection on the Capitol. All politics for them, the ends justify the means, and it's complete hypocrisy. You see this in, in the corporate media, you see this among Democrats. On January 6th of 2021, you had tens of thousands of people peacefully protesting, and yet the corporate media and Democrats slander them with the, the made-up term insurrectionist, and yet, in this instance, they are not willing to call off their goons even now, even now, as this has the potential to escalate and escalate further. So Ted Cruz has the audacity to call what we all witnessed with our own goddamn eyes on January 6, 2021. He, he labels it a peaceful protest. Thousands were peacefully protesting during the deadly insurrection. Mm-hmm. He is... He is a shame-free individual. <laughs> Goddamn. Yeah, well, that seems to be the enduring pattern. If there's one thing we can count on Ted Cruz for. 
a shame-free existence. That seems to be the one thing. Dignity-free. The one thing. With whatever year he was born. Yeah. So, are there going to be more protests at Supreme Court justices' homes? Yes. Yes. And should there be? Yes. Yes. Again, I, I'm not seeing why they should be um, held in a special class where they should be above seeing the consequences in real time of their actions. By the way, we are, once again, for those who might, uh, for the Johnny Depp fans in the room who aren't listening to what we're saying, we are advocating for peaceful gathering and protesting. Yeah. We're not talking about breaking into his house and harming his family. We are talking about gathering together one with another to express our outrage, to express our displeasure, to express our fear Mm -hmm. about what is taking place in our country at the hands, as Tony in Boston so eloquently put it, Christo fascists. Yes, absolutely. So, fuck you, Ted Cruz. (laughs) Okay, Jesse always says it best. So, the additional huge story that we were too sick to cover was the uh, Buffalo shooting. Tragic. It is is extremely tragic. Um, We just heard from Laura in Buffalo earlier, and uh, I know that she reached out in the Dollamore listener group on Facebook after that happened, and uh, we also have, I believe, Grace in Buffalo that we've heard from quite often. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. sure we have many listeners in Buffalo, but those are two of the names that come to me right away, so definitely thinking of everyone in Buffalo, and this was a, a white supremacist that traveled to Buffalo specifically to kill black people. It was evident in his manifesto, which so many of these shooters are now writing and leaving behind yeah. evidence of why they're choosing the actions they're choosing. His was 180 pages, uh, really dedicated to the proposition of the conspiracy theory known as the Great Replacement Theory. Right, which we've heard a lot about from Republicans, because now this is yeah. becoming more mainstream than it used to be. This used to be kind of a uh, theory that was talked about Um, in white power movements with white power activists, white supremacist circles, and slowly it has crept into becoming more mainstream. And Tucker Carlson even talks about it as though it's this reasonable concern that people should really have. It doesn't stop at Tucker Carlson, though. And I want people to be able to hear this great replacement theory coming through without anyone using the term great replacement theory. And Steven Crowder gives us a great lesson in what we can listen for when conservatives are trying to dog whistle to their supporters these racist talking points. Look, it's about voting demographics, uh, just to be clear. I don't believe that that people use interchangeably that race is destiny. Now, I also, by the way, let me be, this is something people won't like to hear. I also don't think there's anything wrong with white Americans wanting their neighborhood to look similar to how it looked with their dad and their grandparents. And, you know, people tend to be comfortable around people they were raised with. Have you been to uh, Mexican neighborhoods? Been to largely black neighborhoods? This, this is something, this is a natural process that takes place. Doesn't mean that you should seclude yourself, but I don't blame black people for watching black entertainment television. I don't blame Latino people for watching Telemundo. I understand that we have different tastes because we have different cultures. Melanin doesn't determine how you vote. Unfortunately, it's about buying votes from the Democratic Party. Like you said, they realized they weren't going to be able to buy the votes 
of, for example, Italian-Americans who came here and started businesses and were paying taxes. They realized this back then, so they said, let's bring in a bunch of people who are basically indentured servants from these countries. So they'll be grateful to us, and they'll... They'll vote for us. Well, now you see that changing a little bit, right, with those same Asian-Americans back then. You're no longer convenient for them. And you're starting to lean a little more right. So let's now bring in more people from Mexico. Let's make sure that our policy favors people coming from these countries that they, hey, look, you remember who helped you, right? You remember who brought you in? You remember who even during a pandemic, we uh, we paused uh, the, the four, is it Title 42? We paused Title 42, right? We brought, remember we gave you formula? Remember how to vote. Steven Crowder is a vile and pernicious racist. This is white supremacy talk that's really not even cloaked. It's not even dog whistles. These are, these are, he doesn't blame white people. He thinks it's natural and normal and he even is encouraging white people. It's okay. You should want to live in a neighborhood like your father did, presumably your father having grown up in the 50s. Mm hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, he's also people like hold him up. Conservatives hold him up as being like this logic bro. He's so great with logic. Right. He's he can the, dunk he's on the, anyone. He's the change my mind guy. Right. But why are there uh, predominantly black neighborhoods? Right. No, it's it's the same argument they make about well, well they get to have uh, historically black colleges. Why can't we have historically white colleges? They have them because that's only schools they were able to go to were historic were, were black only colleges they couldn't go to white schools the same thing with black neighborhoods right with redlining, with redlining right. and so many other systemic racist policies right under the color of law and under the co color of capitalism right segregated from white neighborhoods right so please with this and people listen to this and think oh makes a lot of sense actually yeah right. And no, it doesn't, if you understand history. I don't blame black people for watching uh, uh, black entertainment television. And, <laughs> and that's the thing. I think that, again, if you are ignorant and you listen to this, you don't hear him moving the goalpost when he makes that point. Because he goes from neighborhoods when there's a clear historical to what tv they watch right yeah and that's a moving of the goalposts where you're looping those two things in as being the same thing where living in a predominantly black neighborhood and watching a uh, quote-unquote black channel is just cultural decisions that people are making those two things are just cultural decisions yeah, that they're thing. making right when clearly it's not and I, I take your point, Jesse, that this is more than a dog whistle. It's pretty explicit. I think that's true for us. I don't know if that's true for other people, hmm. unfortunately. And Yeah, I see that. I could see that. And I I would hope that people are developing the capacities to hear this and think, okay, this is this is a, a racist talking point. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's talking about demographics. Right. He's using the word. Right. Yeah. And and so I think anytime you start hearing demographic change, concerns about demographics, that's really great replacement theory. And that's really a white supremacist talking point. And it's scary that people like Steven Crowder continue to have sub significant and prominent platforms like on YouTube, for example, where he gets to bully people and he gets to trot out white supremacist talking points. And he continues to be rewarded with views and... Uh, Prominence. Yeah. Yeah. Wealth. Yeah. Influence. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'd love to know what you think about this. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com.
It's the asshole of today. Melissa Riley. Melissa Riley. Melissa Riley is the mother of a biracial son, a 13-year-old from uh, Charlottesville, Virginia. And she is suing the school district because of critical race theory. All right, so Melissa, your your son is uh, the father's black, you're white, and he'd never mentioned issues with race before. You're saying, what exactly changed? Right, we didn't have issues before. He's in eighth grade. They introduced this critical um, program, and now he's having racial issues that what, was not there before. What kind of racial issues is he having? Well, he's seen himself just as a black man. He's seen things that don't go his way as racism. Um, and he's finding safety in numbers now. So when you're saying he gets a bad grade at school, he blames racism or a girl rejects him on a date. Racism. Are those the kind of things you're seeing? Yes. I ask him to clean the house. Racism. Yes. <laughs> you're kidding, right? Are you serious? <laughs> No, I'm serious. They have totally changed his perspective. They have put him in a box. She's a white woman, by the way. Yeah, she didn't. She she just called uh, him a black man. Yes, her 13 year old in eighth grade, she referred to as a black man. Also, it is just fucking bananas to me that. Well, what what has changed? What has changed? He used to be a sweet six year old boy who didn't have a care in the world. All he thought about was playing. And now he's getting older and starting to think about things and recognize how he's treated in our society. It must be critical race theory. It couldn't be that he's now recognizing the world for what it is because he's getting a little, little, little bit older, a little bit more intelligent, and a little bit more aware. Also, she said that he's finding safety in numbers. Like, yeah. that's a negative thing. That, to me, sounds like he's finding people who are supportive of him. And right. Maybe who are unlike his mother, who's going on Fox News and laughing at him with Jesse Waters. Yeah. And it sounds to me like he could really benefit from having as many people who are not like her in his life as possible. That is... I mean, when you put it like that, that she went on national television to mock her early teenage son. Mm -hmm. I mean, what a terrible person. Melissa Riley of Charlottesville, North Carolina, uh, Charlottesville, Virginia. A remarkable clip. That's crazy. Yeah. So thoughts to that child. We hope that there is support uh, that he has that um, is outside of, of what's happening there because it doesn't seem like uh, he's getting a lot of support from her. Yeah, for sure. All right, uh, moving on. Taking care of biz. Pete Cadens. Pete Cadens. Pete Cadens is a Chicago millionaire. Well, oh, I heard about this guy. I know. We have a millionaire who's taking care of biz. <laughs> And we're not going to be like, he's, but he's a good millionaire. I'm a cool mom. He's like a cool millionaire. I looked him up to see what business he's in. Mm -hmm. And do you know? Yeah. Cannabis. Yeah. Well, he started off in solar panels or something in Chicago. Uh -huh. But then he's like, he founded like the second largest or something weed company or something. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
He retired at 40 and has created a charity called Hope Chicago. And the reason that we have him in this Taking Care of Biz segment is not just because of his charity, although his charity is doing awesome work that you're about to hear about, but it's really because of his approach to viewing his own wealth. We told the students we were writing a story about college ambition, which wasn't the whole truth. We knew what was about to happen because we'd met the man who would change their lives. I'm a guy who got really lucky in life. I'm a guy who won a lot of lotteries. The birth lottery, the zip code lottery, the education lottery. And when I think about having won all those lotteries and all the people who are suffering... It's my chance to give them those same opportunities. That's who I am. He is Pete Cadence, a Chicago millionaire who retired at the age of 40 after starting five companies, including one of the largest growers of cannabis. Sense of guilt? Yes, 100%. I feel horribly guilty that I created this amount of wealth and that so many people are still suffering. Suffering, in his view, because the richest country in history has not found a way to educate all its children. I used to think that college and going to college was the great equalizer. In truth, what we've come to find out, college is the great stratifier in this country. It furthers the gap between the haves and the have-nots. Most people just don't realize that. And they don't realize how expensive it is for a minority student in a disinvested community they don't just get a bunch of financial aid. And if they do, they come out with a boatload of debt so they yeah. can't compete with their white suburban contemporaries even after college. I just think that fundamentally there is a misunderstanding in this country that college is accessible to everybody. And the fact is, no, it is not. But it was about to be accessible at Johnson College Prep. When... Everyone's assembled and no one knows why. You're going to look across that room and what are you going to see? I'm going to see students and families who deserve this moment. You know, you asked me earlier about students that we've lost and we, we often tell our families in those moments to like hang in there, you know, stay in the fight, don't give up, uh, a better day is coming. Um, this is their better day. A Johnny Cunningham was there beside Kavarian Newsom. They didn't know what the assembly was about or who Pete Cadence was. Good afternoon, Johnson College Prep. But they will never forget. We're going to walk out of here forever changed today. And that is because if you were a freshman, sophomore, junior, or senior, at Johnson College Prep. Your college tuition, your room and board, your books and fees will be paid for. You will go to college for free. Wow. You get a car. You get a car. You get a car. <laughs> Cadence Charity, called Hope Chicago, will pay in-state tuition and expenses. An act of kindness so great, it had to be squeezed to fit within belief. That same week, Cadence made the same announcement at four additional Chicago high schools. Wow. Ah. I know I'm getting emotional Emo again. Emotional all of a sudden. <laughs> I was emotional when I prepped it. Um, it's going to result in 30,000 uh, Chicago high school students getting funded over the course of the next 10 years. That, that's not just tuition. 
Yeah, it's room and room board. Room and board it's books. Yeah. is huge. I mean, it's everything. Yeah. Allowing someone, I mean, this is UBI on another scale. Allowing them to focus on learning. Right. On 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 bettering themselves, on on the de-stratification of education and society. It's yeah. fucking so great. And coming out with a degree and no debt. Right. You're you're free. You can move forward. You don't have to pay anything back. It's it's freedom. And I again, I mean, what he did there is fantastic. This is a great charity. It's beautiful. I really want to jump back to what he said at the beginning about how he is lucky and he won a lot of lotteries and he talked about the birth lottery <laughs> getting emotional again. The zip code lottery and the, the, education, the education lottery. lottery. Yeah. And this is really how people need to think about their own lives to help create compassion for other people who did not win those lotteries, who did not have access to the similar tools and benefits that we did, because it will help us feel motivated to make society more equal and to create more opportunities for people to have success. Yeah. And and so I love hearing from people who are wealthy say, I got here because of luck. And, and being able to admit that and, and not feeling like you need to explain that away. Yeah, because too often people, like for instance, when we talk about, like I'll talk about having found some modicum of success on YouTube or in on the show here. And I'll say, it, it, it's just luck. I mean, the vast majority of it, usually I put like an 85, 15% on it mm-hmm. because there are, Thousands of people smarter than us, who are more talented than us, even who are would do this better. Just thousands, hundreds, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> and but we made it mm-hmm. to whatever success degree we we've made it. Yeah, because largely of luck. Now listen, if we hadn't tried and worked and and been and persevered, we probably wouldn't be where we are. So I do believe there's some work that goes into it. But without the luck aspect, there's nothing. Right. Absolutely no chance of it. Yeah. And those three lottery things he's talking about, the birthplace lottery or the birth lottery, the, the zip code lottery, the, the education lottery, a lot of people, millions of people in the United States and, and, and billions across the world, they're never, they didn't choose to live where they're, to, to be born where they're born. Mm-hmm. They didn't choose to be born into poverty. It's not a matter of they didn't work hard enough. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's the, the just shitty luck. Yeah. Yeah. So Pete Cadence, taking care of biz, changing people's lives. We love to see it. Absolutely. We'd love to hear from you, 657-464-7609. You can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We love you guys. We appreciate you very much. Listen, there is some new merch up on the the I Doubt It Dollamore Daily Teespring store. We will put links to it in the description. We created a couple of designs in support of the Poor People's Campaign, the March on Washington that's going to be taking place in, or mid, in mid-June. Here in D.C. One of the designs is Fight Poverty, Not the Poor. It's fucking awesome. I love the shirt. Mm-hmm. There's also... 
iPhone cases with the same design, a bunch of stuff. And then there's another one we've said for, for years now on the show that poverty is a public policy choice, and we now have a shirt that, that talks about that as well. So we will put those in the show notes. We'll put them on Facebook. We would love for you to support the show by, by going and picking up one of those shirts. We love you. We appreciate you. We will see you next time. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt It.